from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the weekly Texas Tech football and sometimes other sports podcast. Brought to you by the Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm Don Williams, AJ Media, Texas Tech football beat writer. Normally joined by AJ Media sports editor Carlos Silva Jr., but Carlos is on the road with the Tech basketball team, so he's out of pocket today, second week in a row. So for the second week in a row, we have a guest co-host today, and that is none other than KOBK weekend sports dude, Ryan King. Ryan, Thanks for joining us. Yeah, unfortunately for Don, he's, he's getting stuck with me. And just to pull the curtain back, this is our second time to do this podcast, Don. Not literally in a row, but second time in the last like 10 minutes since the mics were kind of messed up. But we're back now. People were listening to this. Uh, we don't want to talk about what I was doing over the week, and that makes it sound a lot worse. I'll go ahead and talk about it then. I was decorating my place. Don didn't like it. He was like, oh, that's, that's not manly or whatever since, you know, Don's a man's you man. Were, so. You were... Talking about decorating your apartment for Christmas, for Christmas. And it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Because my rule is if Thanksgiving is before or on November 25th, then I wait. But if it's after the 25th, like this year, the 28th, I cannot have a less than a month of Christmas. So I went ahead and did it on Monday, the 25th. So I get a full month in general. Well, I guess there's an explanation. You look like you're like 16, 17 years old. Do so I? You, you, so you haven't really uh, – so you're still really fired up and excited about Christmas and whatever I love Christmas. I love celebrating Christmas. I love everything about it. You'd appreciate this. My favorite time of the year, Christmas time, because the lights, Christmas in general, the gifts – and you get out of school, it's bowl season. College football is my favorite. Bowl season is my favorite thing about college football. So just a perfect storm in general. Are you going to do the Christmas sportscast again this year on KLBK? Christmas Eve, you dang right. Because uh, last year you did the rhyming sportscast. This will be the third straight year. I did it in 17. Eight, I did it on Christmas Day in 17. Then it, it became the sportscast before Christmas, which makes sense last year. And then this year, KLBK, Christmas Eve. The sportscast before Christmas will be back. That's you know, it's another month away, so we got time. All righty. Uh, what we don't have much time for uh, is Texas Tech football season, where it's on its last legs. Red Raiders losing last week to uh, Kansas State senior night, thirty to twenty-seven loss, fourth time this season that the Red Raiders have lost by a touchdown, or pardon me, by a field goal or less, and so. Texas Tech at four and seven. Bowl eligibility is out the window. They go to Austin and take on the Longhorns. Texas Longhorns, eleven a.m. Friday. Um, and Ryan, even though the bowl chance is done, uh, I, I expect to see Tech be motivated in this one. For here, the reason why is they won in Austin four years ago. They won in Austin two years ago. And so that was kind of a theme. Uh, that's been kind of a theme this week is can Tech make it three in a row, uh, win three times in a row in Austin. That would be um, a feather in the cap with the senior class because no Texas Tech football the Tech football program's never done that. They've won it awesome, but not three times in a row. And like Travis Bruffy said to you yesterday at the press conference, you know, people are down them, but no one had ever done it twice in a row before they did it in 2017. But I, it really would be something, you know, uh, back in 2017, they beat Texas. They ended up losing in the Birmingham Bowl to South Florida and Quentin Flowers and Charlie Strong. 
But I think that they would be a lot happier with that scenario than the reverse. If you go into Texas six and five, you lose, then you win the Birmingham Bowl against some random opponent. You want to beat Texas. I think that means as much, if not more, than anything else this Tech football team can do outside of a Big 12 championship or a national championship. And I really think the opportunity is there this year. Not only have they done it twice in a row, but this Texas team, and they've had a bunch of close games. Like they're at least in these games. They're not getting blown out. But this Texas team is 6-5. and five. They, have a, they were preseason top 10. Kirk Herbstreit had them in the playoff. People thought that highly of them after beating Georgia last year. And the fact that they are currently sitting at 6-5, and five, they lose to Tech, they're 6-6, six and six, they lose their bowl game. It is still possible that Texas has a losing season after being preseason top 10. So I think it's honestly been a very disappointing year from top to bottom in every single way. If you look at Texas Twitter, they're losing their minds about Tom Herman, hot seat, hire Lincoln Riley, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I don't think this game, the day after Christmas, the day after Thanksgiving, short rest, 11 a.m. against a Tech team they probably don't think much of. I don't think the fire is going to be there. I think it's very possible Texas Tech could win this game, and I really would not be that surprised. Even though Tech is a 10-point underdog, I think the last couple times they've been underdogs down there that's and pulled Texas. it off. But, I mean, it's, uh, that's what, that's what's going to happen when you're facing in Texas. Yeah. Um, question. I think here's the question. Can, uh, can you play good enough pass defense, which you have been unable to do for about the last half of the season, mm-hmm. against Sam Ellinger and company? But you're right. I think a lot of it will depend on who's who's motivated at eleven o'clock. I think, on Friday I, and morning. a game this this late in the season, the scenario I just laid out, so much of it's going to be decided who wants to win this game more. And I'm not saying they will for sure win this game, but you cannot convince me there is no way Texas, after what they were expected to be this year and what Tech was expected to be this year, that Texas badly wants this game that much. Because they love Tom Herman, they want to say Oh, yeah, Tom's that's exactly job. it. And you even heard uh, <laughs> Coach Wells was talking about like, the heart is so much more now than it was earlier in the year. This team is bought in. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm not even saying it's likely they will win. But there is no way the Longhorns want this game more than the Red Raiders. There's, there's absolutely no way. That's probably true. And I guess the other cautionary note I would have there is uh, you haven't, we haven't really seen Texas Tech just totally lay an egg this season. And I will uh, even include Oklahoma in that because I think – the Oklahoma game, I don't think it was so much you laid an egg as you were just outclassed talent-wise. And their strength, which is throwing Jalen Hurts throwing to, throwing to Lamb and Rambo, was the perfect uh, way to attack Counter. your weakness. Yeah, But also it was the quarterbacks were brand new in that game. You know, Bowman had just been hurt. Tyner started. And even Jed, who's now since played well, not only was that his first game, he didn't even start that game. It was Jackson Tyner, which means he wasn't getting the first – First team reps. reps. So yeah. you can imagine if they played later in the year, it would have been a lot more respectable than it looked like in that game. Probably. Um, every week we uh, ask you uh, to participate by sending us questions and discussion topics. We want to hear what's on your mind, see what's on your mind. And we had uh, got a whole bunch of questions just in a few hours um, oh. earlier today. You're a celebrity. So, uh, well, I, th- I think it's because I name-dropped you. I don't I said, think that's Ryan, it. Ryan King's coming in. Why do you want to hear Ryan King opine on? When Carlos and I do, and we get zeros, <laughs> I don't think that's it. Opine. I opine on things. 
Okay, so to the questions, tweeter of tweets or at TW86 asked, uh, what has held TJ Vasher back from reaching his full potential? Should Seems like he should be a nightmare for defenses every week. And I agree with that. When I first got here, I saw him. I remember in our practice when I got here in September of 17, I was like, man, that guy must be amazing. Then I'd watch him. I was like, oh, he's, he's fine. He's like, okay, he's, he's doing well for a freshman. Then a sophomore, like, oh, he should be doing a lot more. He drops a lot of balls. But, Don, you, you've been around a lot of athletes over the year. I think this is a better question for you. I agree he should be an absolute monster for this team between his the way he can make spectacular catches. He has the range. He has a lot of Antoine Wesley that you would expect to be in T.J. Vasher. But why why do you think he hasn't reached his full potential? Well, let's con- let's contrast that with the name you just mentioned. T.J. T.J. or Antoine Wesley showed last year that he has a breakaway dimension to his game, mm-hmm. and we've never really seen that from T.J. Mm-hmm. T.J.'s a guy that uh, you, you throw him jump balls, you occasionally will see him run across him pattern, mm-hmm. but his I don't know his repertoire seems kind of limited to mm-hmm. me. And I wonder if, you know, TJ's 6'5", so he kind of looks the part. If TJ were 6'2", would people have these expectations for him? No. It's because you look at him and think, oh, you know, mm-hmm. he has, he has a wow size factor to range him. and all, all that. Mm-hmm. So maybe the expectations for him are a little bit unreasonable. And let's throw this in, too. Last year, TJ Vasher caught 54 passes for 687 yards and seven touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Most guys in the Texas Tech receiving core, if you tell them, if you if you say player A, player B caught fifty four passes for nearly seven hundred yards and seven touchdowns, your reaction would be pretty good, pretty good, pretty good year. TJ does that, and you say why is there, why isn't there more there? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Or maybe we've reached the point where maybe there's not more there. Maybe TJ is what we've seen so far. Unfair expectations? Maybe, un- maybe unfair expectations. Oh. Maybe 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 55 catches for about 700 yards and seven or eight touchdowns is about what the expectation should be. Maybe there's not a maybe there's not more there well, remember, that's for him what... to give. Now, you know, some folks have questioned his motivation. Is, is TJ, uh, does it mean enough to him? Mm-hmm. I don't know because practices are closed. Mm-hmm. We, we don't get to go out there and watch practice every day. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what – the folks of you listening probably see TJ in football pads about as, often, about as much as Ryan and I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if motivation is an issue or if it's just um, – like I say, if, if what we have seen so far is just sort of what you're going to get from TJ. Because I think if we were going to see more from TJ Vasher, this would have been the year to see mm-hmm. it. I well, think this would have been the year to see it. You could also make the argument that's what helped Antoine Wesley. He had no expectations last year when he exploded. No one knew anything about him, really. He'd only caught a few passes. And Vasher has, if you do want to give his side of it, from the very beginning, he has always been, there have been very, very high expectations from TJ Vasher from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And some guys, I'm not saying him specifically, but some guys don't perform well in situations like that. Yep. Um... Let's see. Uh, another TJ Vasher question comes from at Ashok Steelers, who asked, uh, "How likely is TJ Vasher to declare for the draft?" Maybe. I think I think we have the same reaction there. He should he should not declare for the draft because he would not get drafted at no. this point. He not only that uh, something we've I don't know Don and I haven't really talked about in general. This is more my personal opinion, not a report. I I believe TJ Vasher should transfer this year. He's going to be graduated. 
He hasn't had the career he's wanted. He's what we just talked about. People saying he's not reached his full potential. He even missed a couple games this year due to off the field issues. I think it would be better for Texas Tech and TJ Vasher for him to grad transfer, finish out one year somewhere else. Now, you could also look at that and him saying, well, instead of transferring somewhere for a year, I'd rather just go now and start um, getting ready for the NFL. So in that way, I think it's possible. Uh, but either way, I don't think he should come back this year. Not because he's, I mean, he's a talented guy. I don't think he's like a bad guy, but he's never filled out his potential. I think it's good for Tech and him to just part ways after this year. And maybe he would see more value in spending all day every day doing football-related things compared to a grad transfer year at a smaller school. I don't know. But that's just my opinion. I, 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 I don't know. If, if I were him, I would say, if you, if you go the transfer route, I, I think he's got to rebuild his value if he wants to get drafted. Because his yeah. no, his numbers this year are not are not as good as his numbers last year. His numbers this year okay, but uh, looks like he's going to fall short of where he was last year. So I think he needs to, if if and I'm just going along with your school of thought here. If you think he needs a clean break, go somewhere else and uh, get re, like I say rebuild your value mm-hmm. or build your value, mm-hmm. maybe even uh, at a lower level. Uh, and I'm just. Thinking out, talking out loud here. What if he were to go to Midwestern State and mm-hmm. uh, uh, catch, you know, go for 70, 70 catches, 1,000 plus yards, and 15 touchdowns? Would that year. help him more than like a North Texas or someone like that on the D1 level? Uh, anywhere. You know, wherever he just he needs to put he needs to put the production numbers next to his physique. Physique. I just don't yes. know if it's going to happen at Tech at this point. That's why I think it's better for him to do something else. No, no inside information on that whatsoever. I just, That's just Ryan King's guidance. Just an opinion. <laughs> Bradley Duff uh, on Twitter, he's at Duff Commander. Asked, will we see Maverick McIver or Alan Bowman in the finale against Texas? We could under a couple scenarios. One, Jet Duffy gets hurt because Jet Duffy is still the starter, even though I know everyone hates that. Jet Duffy's the starter. People, uh, I think people are getting. I think more a lot of a lot of people are okay with that. We now. get we get questions every week about oh, is how I'm going to play this. I don't week? think it's an indictment though of Jet so much as uh, people are kind of clamoring to see the young guy in particular, Maverick McIver. Yeah, it's like, well, and let me let me here. I'll throw this out there. David Yost said uh, Monday. That uh, probably would not be fair to Maverick McIver mm-hmm. to put him in a game right now, which which goes along with what I've thought this entire time, and that is he had two weeks of practice in August, then he got hurt, then he missed three months, and he's a true freshman. Um, so I, I'm not sure it's in his best interest to play at all. If it is, I think it's would simply be uh, garbage time snaps, like game decided. Final series, final two series, something like that. To me, it's more, pardon me, more interesting that uh, Alan Bowman, and I've said since Alan was cleared that I think you have to save Alan. Um, For an injury. Yeah, he has that one game to play, so I think you have to save Alan all the way to the end, and we're at the end here. Um, and then it's a question of do you feel like uh, he or Chet Duffy gives you a better chance this uh, this week? And yeah, you, you, you cannot convince me. I'm sorry. You cannot convince me that Alan Bowman, who did not play well in the first three games of the year and has not played since week three of the season, is going to give you any better of a chance than Jet Duffy. So in that way, I don't think so. Now, Jet gets hurt. This is There's only one game. There's no bowl game, so you can absolutely throw him out there. But unless Jet is out there throwing three picks in, in the first half, I wouldn't let him see the field. I would say it's Jets all the way. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the, the most telling thing and the most – 
telling and revealing thing in this uh, whole discussion. I think we have seen we've seen in the last couple of weeks, and that is it's clear if you watch pregame warm-ups, Jackson Tyner is still the number two quarterback. It does look like that. That's I know, yeah, I've noticed yeah. that. I mean, there's no, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, when, they, when they take those snaps and they're handing off and whatnot, that is – In pregame warm-ups, yet Duffy yes. goes with the one, Jackson Tyner goes with the twos, and Allen is over on the side, you know, playing catch with somebody else. Yeah. And Maverick McIver, same thing. So does that tell you, like, that, no Maverick's not going to play? Is it like – is Allen just – Barring a couple well, of injuries, again, there's that, no way. Yeah, that, like I said, that that tells you that Jackson Tyner's the number two quarterback yeah. has been. So we'll see if that changes this week. Um, fake Natalie Maines or on uh, Twitter at Randy J Wade says uh, heard Kirby Hoka say on his radio show last week that he might look at that they might look at no inter- pardon me no reentry policy at football games. Mm-hmm. I heard that too, Randy. Um, and Kirby said that uh, all options are on the table. Of course, always in the past, in years past, Texas Tech has uh, not had alcohol sales at Jones mm-hmm. Stadium, but fans could tailgate in the parking lot, bring their own drinks, and what that led to was folks getting snockered, going in, watching the first half of the football game, dashing back to the parking lot, power drinking, as Bob Bowlesby said, mm-hmm. and then stumbling back in. And But... Now there's alcohol sales at Jones AT&T Stadium, so the reentry policy is eliminated. You're in, you're in. If you want to leave and come back, you got to have a buy another ticket, have a second ticket. So I think what what will happen is, uh, and Kirby didn't say definitively one way or the other, but I think what you'll you'll get an either or. Uh, either it'll stay the way it is this year or it'll be the way it was in the past. What what you will not have happen, I'm pretty sure, is you will not have alcohol sales at Jones Stadium coupled with the reentry policy. You either have one or the other. I don't think you'll have both. Interesting. Yeah, I I had never heard about that growing up. OU, from when I was a kid and started going to games, never had reentry policies. If you left, you were out. Right. You know, mm-hmm. no ticket. And so when I came here, you could just come and go as you pleased. That was a very, <laughs> that was a new, uh, something I hadn't experienced before. Well, is there one you prefer? Like, what, what do you think for the safety of the crowd, however they want to put this? How do you think they Well, I think they made a pretty compelling case this uh, this past offseason when they said they were going to have alcohol sales at Jones Stadium, and that is uh, gives you a better opportunity to have crowd control because you have mm-hmm. TABC-trained servers, and they can cut you off. And you can end beer sales. They end beer sales after the third quarter, I think. It's probably the third quarter. Um, after well, Baseball, it's after the seventh yeah. It's probably, it's probably after the third. Initially, I was kind of against alcohol sales at Jones Stadium, but they kind of made a pretty compelling case. But that now you can drink you, in the press box, so now you're good to go. I don't care. But <laughs> but I think they made a compelling case that um, if you sell alcohol at the stadium, eliminate the reentry policy, then, you have, then you're better able to enact your crowd control. Mm-hmm. And, act, and they have said it at other places, it's actually led to fewer alcohol-related arrests. Now, so there've been really, yeah. Huh? Because again, you can cut people. You can say, okay, you've had too much. You're done. Uh, we're not going to serve you anymore. So you have to sober up. Uh, I mean, you have no choice. You have no choice but to sober up. <laughs> Versus the way it's been in the past, I can leave, go out to the parking lot, mm-hmm. knock down a few shots, mm-hmm. come back in. Can't do it anymore. So we'll see. They said they'll discuss it in the off season. Uh, Brett Marmaleo asked, uh, Ryan, what, what good came out of this season? 
What good came out of this season? Two questions here. What good do you think came out of this season? Man, I mean, I, I think a lot of young guys were seen to have talent that contributed to this team. Eric Izukama came out of this season. Dalton Rigdon came out of this season. Uh, this doesn't matter as much going forward, but I think Jet Duffy has taken a gigantic step forward from where he was last year. I think there's – and even – implementing this system you can see how much it's grown throughout the year i think there's plenty of value that's come from the season outside of well they didn't make a bowl game they might end up with less wins than last year which is they lose to texas and they will i think a lot of young guys have gotten a lot of valuable time with this team this year in close games mind you they're not pulling them out but they are not getting blown out like we talked about they are competitive and you cannot tell me this is a better product than you saw last year i don't care what the record is this product is better than what was being put on the field last season. I think there's a lot of positives to take away from this year, but namely the young guys who've got to show out. Sir Roderick Thompson, another bright spot. I think there's been plenty of things you can do. And uh, don't forget about the Buckus Award finalist, Jordan Brooks. He's been was, taken out of this year. Well, and I was about to bring him up. Of course, he will, he'll be gone after mm-hmm. this year. But um, that tells me, I think, a little bit something about maybe player development, connecting with a guy. Because Jordan had, Jordan had reached a... He was at a consistent level. I mean, three straight years, 80-plus tackles, 80-plus tackles, 80-plus tackles. But he has taken this game to another level this year. And, and the reason why both individuals say, Keith Patterson and Jordan Brooks, both say it's because of all the time he spends during the week studying game plans, watching film, preparation. So if Keith Patterson can connect with other players the way he connected with Jordan Brooks. He also convinced him to stay. You, you, like, you heard that story this week where – uh, when Coach Patterson was talking, Jordan was exploring potentially other options for his final year. But Coach Patterson said, if you stay here, I promise it'll be the best decision you've made. And I think Coach Patterson showed he can make someone better. And Rico looks better this year, too. I, I absolutely agree. I think there's a there's a lot of talent development on this staff. So what good came out of this season? Uh, the, my, my first thought was, well, year one is over. And so mm-hmm. in year two, you should automatically be uh, – in year two, you're automatically a step ahead because your offensive players know your offensive system, your defensive players know your defensive system. Mm-hmm. The entire team knows how you operate from Sunday through Friday mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes, what the expectations are, and you will weed out or – uh, have parting of ways with guys who don't really like how things are done, mm-hmm. and uh, then you and you also you get recruits who they're your guys they they're bought in mm-hmm. with you from from the day they uh, commit to you that they want to be a part of uh, they like what they hear and they want to be a part of it. I hope people don't think it's like a lost season. I think from everything we discussed, I think there's a lot of a lot of a lot of good things have come out of this year that set the foundation, which is what they've talked about all year. It's about setting the foundation and the framework for this team going forward. And I think a lot of that's really happened. I don't think it's been a, a loss year. I mean, it all comes down to winning losses. What do we say? Five games that were a field goal or less or five games under five points. It's something like that. They win two of those. All of a sudden you're sitting at six and five going into Texas. What if you beat them? You're seven and five. I mean, I just think this season has not been nearly as bad as it seems like from time to time with how some of the games have ended. Or even if they beat Kansas, you're sitting at five and six before the Texas game. And I think there's plenty of, plenty of positives that have been come out of this year. Uh, second question from Brett. With losing to multiple teams by either a touchdown or three points, should Tech fans have a good hope for this team next year? Absolutely. I, th- I think yes. I, let me, I'll, I'll take this in first. I'll let you mm-hmm. think about it for a second. Uh, and I go back to kind of a little bit while we talk about player development. You, you're going to lose Jordan Brooks, Doug Coleman with his eight interceptions. But you have all your quarterbacks back next year. 
full room of guys who are more who are kind of more experienced now. I think uh, I think you'll be a much better. I think you'll be better receiver next year. Uh, reason why is I, I think Eric Azucama will really come into his own next season. There are a lot of expectations put on him this year because of all the good stuff said about him in August, but he was still a freshman. He put up good numbers for a freshman, but we, what we have seen from Eric Azucama, when he makes plays, there's a there's a wow factor there with that guy. And once he's now got a year under his belt where he's done it full-time, I think he's a guy who's going to take a big step up at some point, be it next year or junior, senior year. I think he's going to be a go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Um so I think your passing game will improve, and maybe you know this this recruiting class that they have, these receivers that they have commitments from, five of them now. Those those look like uh, Mike Leach, Cliff Kingsbury era wide receiver recruits. They get the kid from Midland Lee this week, Loic Fulinchi, who's uh, recruited by scholarship offers from Texas, Texas A and M, Southern Cal, big time guy, who's six foot four, um, a couple other. Outside guys in J.J. Sparkman and Jalen Polk from East Texas. And they have a couple of Jakeem Grant-looking kids at inside receiver with Miles Price from the Colony, who's been a touchdown machine, and Quinn Bright from Cedar Hill. And so I think – now, again, those guys will be true freshmen next year, but will one or two of them be ready to make a significant contributions? I, I think there's the potential there for your passing game to to take a big step up next season between mm-hmm. the experience of your quarterback, the potential for Ezekama to really break out, and maybe one of these other young guys to uh, for you to hit big on. I think you're set also at quarterback more than you have been in recent years. You're going to have Jed Duffy, who's looking a lot better, Maverick McGyver, who really – does have a great offseason and stays healthy and he gets it, or they're so sold on Alan Bowman, he comes back. Either way, I think you're going to have a more solid starter than you've had in the, in recent years and be more sure of it. I think the number one thing they really need to do is they need to learn how to win. That's how they have all these close losses, but he's even mentioned uh, these are eventually going to start coming. You, They had five games that were a touchdown or less. If you're doing the math in your head, you go into the season and say, we're going to have five games that are five-point games or less or whatever. You would not expect Tech to lose every single one of those. So eventually those are going to start coming your way, and that comes with development, that comes with playing in these games. And the fact they haven't been blown out other than Oklahoma, I think there's plenty of hope for next year. I'm not saying they're going to go 10-2, and two, but there's no reason. That th- I mean, they should at least get to six or seven wins next year. They absolutely should be a bowl team next year. Our friend Cameron Brock from uh, Heartland College Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at CamBrockHCS. He's got a two-tweet question. Do you believe history has a way of repeating itself? And says, I've heard that Jim Carlin's departure was similar to Mike Leach's. That's right, Cameron. In fact, if you want to go way back, uh, Elmer Tarbach, or pardon me, not Elmer Tarbach, Pete Cawthon's departure was similar to Mike Leach's. The thing that all three of those coaches had in common, they got crossways with administration, butted heads, and then they were gone. Uh, Looking at one loss record, it seems – Texas Tech is following the Steve Sloan, Rex Dockery, Jerry Moore path. Am I off base, or do you see this too? Um, going, you know, trending down. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, although Steve Sloan, of course, I was a kid when Steve Sloan was coaching. Steve Sloan had three straight winning seasons, including a ten and two season uh, in the middle of it of those three straight. But yeah, then after Rex Dockery. 
You started trending down with Dockery and then bled into Jerry Moore, and he had six years in a row of losing seasons, 79 to 85. So, yes, similar there. Um, and then Cameron asked, looking at the attendance, there seems to be a lot of apathy in the Tech fan base. I would agree with that, no question. Could you compare the fan base when Moore started versus when Spike started? Are there any similarities? Um, I would say it's uh, I would say it's a little bit different because when Jerry Moore started, it was in 1981. It was coming off two straight losing seasons, but Tech fans. But that was at the end of a, a really good decade, one of the best decades in Tech football history. And so when Jerry Moore started. Um, Things were trending downward, but people could. St- but the good times are still fresh on people's minds. When Spike started, um, it was close on the heels of that. What six or seven consecutive losing seasons, and Spike uh, took over at the of course bowl game nineteen eighty six. When uh, at the end of the year, when David McWilliams was head coach, David left. Uh, after a seven and four regular season, Spike took over as defense coordinator for the bowl game, and then that kicked off the Spike era. Now, um, Cameron also asked, could you compare the start of Matt Wells' tenure to those two coaches? Um, I would say Matt Wells' tenure comparable maybe to Jerry Moore because Jerry Moore at the end of the Jerry Moore era and the beginning of the Matt Wells era. Fan apathy is a huge problem. Uh, I would say it's different from when Spike started because um, Spike was a guy who, okay, takes over in 1986. He came to Texas Tech from Midland Lee after he had been a very successful high school coach. 1983, 1984, Lee went to state championship game one year and state quarterfinal game the next year. And that Midland Lee team had a, half a dozen guys who signed Division One, and Spike brought all but one of those guys up here with him to Lubbock. The entire wishbone backfield signed with the Red Raiders. So Isaac Garnett, the fullback, Tyrone Thurman, who was a halfback, Walter Jones, who was a halfback, defensive end named Eddie Kittle, a uh, linebacker named Michael Johnson. And uh, all of those guys, except for Walter Jones, panned out and became key contributors for you. Um and so I would say Spike is different from Matt Wells in that there was a lot of West Texas people and Texas Tech people felt like they knew Spike from the very beginning because of his success as a West Texas high school football coach. So there was a lot of, uh, I think, um, eagerness to embrace Spike because of who he was already. Uh, as soon as he took over, he had been, uh, you know, he, he left Midland Lee to come to Tech as the defensive coordinator, then got promoted. So there's a lot more, I think, uh, willingness for people to accept him and embrace him uh, versus Matt Wells, who, again, is kind of perceived as the outsider. And there's been a lot more, I think, resistance to Matt than there was, uh, on the front end than there was to Spike. Even from the beginning, do you remember that? Right as they hired him, oh, I can't believe they're hiring a Utah State head coach. This isn't a big, a big hire, big splashy hire. Here's a news flash. The big splashy hires don't always work out. So. Yeah, and like I say, you contrast that with Spike, who uh, he was fresh when he became head coach. The, what he had done at Midland Lee was fresh on their minds, and he brought all those Midland Lee. He brought Michael Johnson, a linebacker. He was like leading tackler for a couple of years for the Red Raiders. He brought Tyrone Thurman, one of the most exciting players in Texas Tech history. He brought, brought – uh, Isaac Garnett, solid fullback. Eddie Kittle, solid defensive end. And so there's a lot more – 
initial buy-in with Spike, I mm -hmm. think, than with than with Matt you Wells, without a like question. That. I think I actually had this uh, a talk with my uh, friends who are in Arkansas. They're talking about you know who they should hire for head coach to be the to run the Razorbacks. Um, and so many of them want like current head coaches, whether it's a small program, big programs, like you know sometimes not the sexiest hire might be the right one. So I think you just have to give them a little bit of time. And I think immediately Matt Wills was hired. It went out on social media within seconds. Be like, this is it. This is who we're getting. This is terrible. It's like, okay, he literally has not even stepped foot in Lubbock yet. Let's, let's give him some time. But apathy. How you think the fans are totally apathetic right now? Not totally. I mean, every fan is different. Yep. Not, so not totally. But, I mean, Don Williams at, calls I mean, out tech fan the, base. Uh, I mean, you can look in the stands and say, yeah. I mean, yes, there's there's no doubt there's a lot of apathy. That's a yeah. big issue right now. Well, I want to cure it to start winning football Win. games again. Uh, let's see, one more question. Seems our coaching staff makes adjustments during halftime. Do you think the team is arriving fully prepared in games? They seem to spend the first half figuring out what is going on. How much of this is the staff seeing opponents for the first time? Uh, I think it's that it, – could maybe a case in some points. I, and the reason I say that is I remember David Gibbs, previous defensive coordinator, at some point in his tenure, and he was here for four years, and I think it was after a couple of years he was asked uh, about was he caught off guard or surprised by anything in the Big 12. And I said, I, I, I don't remember word for word what he said, but his answer was something to the effect of, you knew that there was good passing in the Big 12, but maybe it didn't hit you how good it was until you're actually in the middle of it trying to, to stop coach it. against it. How good the uh, quarterbacks and receivers were in this conference. So, And he's a veteran assistant coach. Guys, I mean, coached in the NFL, been around for a long time. He acknowledged that there was, uh, even for an experienced staff, even for an experienced coach, there was a little bit of an eye-opener factor coming into the Big 12. And so, I don't know, maybe could be the case a little bit. Um I'm not so sure, though, that I automatically say, are these guys coming in not prepared because they haven't played, because they played maybe better in the second half some games in the first half. I'm not sure there's necessarily a cause and effect there. I, I mean, think for the most part, it's been a pretty well-prepared team. Yeah, I think they seem And you've well seen it by the fact that they've hung with, again, hung with everybody they played except for OU this year. The only games I can really think of that they truly did, they seem to be caught off guard early was Oklahoma, like we've already talked about, and then Iowa State seemed to come out and have some pretty immediate success. But to say they make adjustments at halftime, I think every good team makes adjustments at halftime. But yeah, I do think there's part of it being a first year in the Big 12, no matter how much you can logically know it or watch video, it is going to be different the first time you're going against those type those type of teams, absolutely. I was thinking of the Baylor game when we were talking about slow starts. What was that, 6-3 to three at halftime? Mm -hmm. But I can't chalk that up to how good Baylor's defense mm -hmm. has been this year. It was seven, they were seven to three at halftime the other day against the Longhorns. Um, let's see one basketball question. Oh yeah, from uh, Chuck Connor at TTU Nut ninety at TT Nut ninety four. Will with Joel and Tomboy's waiver appeal being denied, will Russ Chewa be able to develop into a reliable rim rim protector by the time conference play begins? Now. Carlos Silva watches every second of every game, so I texted Carlos and and. Um, uh, my initial impression was I, I'm thinking probably not, and I think we kind of had the same idea here. Um, said he's a long-term prospect. His back-to-the-basket game is becoming better. Um, you can 
watch him take his hook shots to see that. Also took a jump shot last game. Probably uh, a little fast to expect Russell Chewa to be a major rim protector defender by the time Big 12 play gets here. Like I say, that kind of jives with what I have kind of seen and heard is that guys who has a lot of potential, good long-term prospect, uh, immediate impact, though, I think probably limited. That is what's bad for this year's team. Russell Chewa, I do agree with what you're saying. He he can definitely pan out for this team, don't get me wrong. And it does suck that they – Joel Tomboy's not playing, didn't get his waiver uh, – that didn't get through. And Tyreek Smith is out with an injury. So he he's not playing right now either. So the only true big, big man is Big Russ. But I think if you have the athleticism of Tyreek Smith, when he's back and healthy, it's going to take him a little bit to get back from that injury and really be a rim protector. He's at 6'7", 215. He's not going to be a rim protector. So in that way, Big Russ is going to have to be in some way. He and Chris Clark are going to have to be the rim protectors because they don't have in Tomboy. But Joel and Tomboy is 6'8", 220. Tyreek Smith is 6'7", 215. Big Russ is 7'2", 260. So just based off his size, I think he can be a rim protector and at least alter shots. If not, he's not, he's not going to be Tariq Owens. And I know that's what people are wanting. He's not going to be swatting the ball into the third row all the time. But I don't think it's a lost year for Tyreek Smith. I know that was a part of the question. He will contribute at some point this year. And... Russell Chewa, I I do agree. He I do agree with what Carlos said. He is more of a long term uh, piece to this team, but I I don't know why he couldn't with that size. He's not as athletic as those other two guys, but I I don't know why you couldn't alter shots and be somewhat of a rim disruptor at that size. Being I mean seven foot two sixty is that's that's pretty dang big. <laughs> but no, he's he does not have the skills that in Tomboy would have right now for this team. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think that's all the questions I have on my sheet. I think you had one other question from, from the uh, from the peanut gallery. Yeah, from the peanut gallery. I do not have the exact wording in front of me. I'm trying to look it up here. Which Our friend John Sokolov. Johnny from, Sock uh, says, what was the topic of the longest rant of Ryan King's career? All right. So we've kind of already talked about this. Um, I, I I don't remember. We, we right have, now. I promise. So this is going to ring a bell when you. There's a it. couple that really fire me up. Most recently, I was getting. For those of you that don't know, I am a University of Oklahoma alum. I was getting a little fired up about the fact that Jalen Hurts is being mentioned in the Heisman conversation, which I think is a complete farce to the Heisman Trophy to put him in the same conversation as what Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield have done the last two years, or even this year with Joe Burrow and Chase. Uh, Young and just different guys like that. Travis Etienne, who I really enjoy. All those type of guys. I just don't think he's there. But that was not what I really got fired up with years ago. Uh, This is what you would know about. Back in uh, 2004, when OU and LSU played in the national title game, LSU upsets Oklahoma. They're the national champions, but the AP gives the national championship to USC. That fires me up every time I think about it, that they can claim a national title in a year they literally did not even play for. And it wasn't back in the day when there wasn't one. There's been a national title for years now, and they just arbitrarily claimed one. That leads me to the second rant that I have had many, many, many times throughout the years. And that is programs claiming national titles that just are not legitimate. 
Alabama claims like, oh, 17 national titles, 28 national titles. They have 11 or 12. They still have a bunch of them, but be realistic, okay? USC, we have 19 national titles. You know how I've one summer, this was back in the summer of 15, after my junior year of high school, I decided to sit down. And I looked at every single year from 1936 on who the national champion would be if you just have a brain in your head. USC has four national titles, four, and they claim well over ten, and it's absolutely ridiculous. They so you're rejecting which ones? You're rejecting. I don't know. That. I know what the years they have are 62, 67, 72, and 04. But one for one. Those are the ones that you. Those are the ones that you uh, consider legitimate. I basically took what the AP did every year and accepted that as the national champion. Here's one for you. I know the Tennessee Volunteers claim 1950 or 55 as national. You know how I know that's not real? Because Oklahoma was the undefeated national champion that year. So, no, you are not the national champion. Tennessee has two, 1951 and 1998. That is it. So that that will get me fired up. I hate when I see this thing. You even see the commercial recently, uh, the Heisman House, and it's, Baker, Kyler, Bo Jackson, and uh, Derrick Henry sitting around, and they're asking Siri, Siri, how many Heismans does Oklahoma have? One of the questions is, Siri, how many, or Alexa, sorry, Alexa, how many national titles does Alabama have? It's like, 17. It's like, that's not legitimate. That is not real. That is literally a straight lie. They do not have those national titles, but they just arbitrarily claim them. And one time, Scott Van Pelt went on a uh, rant of his own after a national title about how he, uh, Alabama has all these fake titles, and it's true. They have titles where they have like two or three losses, and they claim it. It's absolutely ridiculous because back in the day in the 40s or the 30s or the 50s, oh, one tiny paper in Birmingham, Alabama claimed Alabama's the national champion. We can claim it. Uh, Alabama, 1952 national champions. That's not legitimate, and they know it's not legitimate. They know it's fake, but they claim it anyway because it makes their program sound even better than they are. They're already a great program. Texas does the same thing. Texas claims four, and they have three. So there's there's another one for you right there. But that's what gets me fired up. Fake national champions. UCF from a couple of years ago. Oh, Golly. I wasn't going to bring that up. Oh, I, I didn't hate want, that. I didn't want you to start another You beat rant. up on Tulsa and Cincinnati. Congratulations. You should be the national champion over Clemson. Get out of my face. I can't stand that. Should I answer your question, John? Yeah, so there, that's so. my longest one. But – we do have one other question, and that's my trivia for the week for you, oh, Don. Oh, my goodness. I thought we were going to get out of your here favorite, had, Your favorite part of the that. week. So, Texas Tech is trying to beat Texas in Austin for the third straight time for the first time ever. Right? Right. Is that correct? Okay. Correct. Yep. I know you've watched every season of Tech football ever, so you would be the one to know that. So, how many Big 12 teams has Tech ever beaten three straight times on the road? You're talking about in Big 12 player, or are you talking mm-hmm. about all time? Yeah, in Big 12 Before they became Big 12 members. Well, yeah, it, well, all so time. Since, of so, Big so we're members. talking about since 1996. Yes. How many Big 12 teams has Tech ever beaten three consecutive times on the road? It could technically be outside of Big 12 play, but of all the Big 12 teams, how many times have they ever done it? Well, you sure ask some complicated, open-ended questions, don't it's, you? It's not open-ended. It's how many teams that have ever been in the Big 12 have they beaten three consecutive times on the road? Um, I'm going to say that they have done it against Baylor. Okay. Correct. I, I, the answer is how many? Um, Four, five, one, two, three, eight, ten, twelve? Not Nebraska, not Colorado. Okay. I would say. So far we're at one. Yeah, I don't think Kansas State. Okay. Kansas would be two. Okay. Um, boy, this is exciting. This is exciting. I know. Isn't it? Um, probably not. 
Oh, Texas A&M. Let me think. Man, Don's the the <laughs> wheels are turning in there. This is this is a, this is a good brain teaser for you. This is really getting the getting the brain waves. Going. Texas, I'll say Texas A and M. Okay, so I'll say three. Okay, um, a lot of Big Twelve teams when you really think about it. There's TCU, been, I don't think they've. Uh, there's been thirteen of them. I don't them. think they won three in a row. At TCU, uh, West Virginia, no. Oklahoma, um, Oklahoma, no. Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State. Let's say that's a that's a good one. Um, I'll say yes on Oklahoma State. So my answer will be four. Four to save time for the first time. Don gets his question right. The answer is four. I have to give you a half a credit though because you didn't get the right four teams. But the answer is four. So out of, they've obviously been in the Big 12, but what I thought might strip you up is not just the current nine teams, you also have to add in Colorado, Missouri, Texas A&M, and Nebraska. So actually 13 Big 12 teams, and four of them, they have beaten three consecutive times on the road. Those being Baylor, mm-hmm. Kansas, obviously, yep. Texas A&M, and who did you say? What was the other one you said? Oklahoma State. They have not done it against Oklahoma did State. Did not do it against Oklahoma State. They've done State. it okay. against TCU. Did do it against TCU, TCU Texas A&M, Kansas Baylor. So four. So let me update my records. I'll give you the full one, because my question was just how many, and you got that right. Wrong teams, but you are now one in six <laughs> in the trivia questions this year. So I'm very proud of you, Don. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I think that'll wrap it up for this week, right? I think so. I mean, we got all the questions. We had a lot of questions this week. Yeah. All righty. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks to everybody out there for uh, listening and sending us in stuff to talk about and don't, questions to answer. Don't and forget to tune into KLBK this week. I'll be anchoring Wednesday through Sunday on Thanksgiving night. Have a nice uh, feature, nice story about the Estacado football team that's headed to ACU to take on uh, Midland Greenwood in the regional semifinal round. Coach Cluley and his wife host a family dinner every week uh, with the captains, and that will be airing Thanksgiving night. So when you guys are done with your feast, with your Thanksgiving dinners, tune in to hear about a dinner that's helping Estacado reach one of their best seasons in uh, half a century. There you go. Ryan King. I'll be, I'll be in Austin, unfortunately, so I won't be able to see it. And I'll be shooting the Abernathy game on Friday. There you go. Now, Lowry, right. Lowry Field. And, you'll, yeah, you'll be at the Texas game, so... All righty. Well, that's what they'll put a wrap on it for us for this week. We appreciate it. Uh, I'm not sure what the plan is for next week. but uh, Like in general? <laughs> in, ge- in general. <laughs> There's no football. I know that. No football, but uh, we will talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.